So I'm answering this question today. Why Christian missions? Why are we involved with Christian missions? Why do we do it? Why do we spend so much time and treasures and talents on things we never see that happen around the world? Why do we do it? The one main reason is obedience to Jesus Christ. Today we are going to begin a uh, little series on faith promise missions and what it's all about. But let me ask you this. How many here, and you can, you can answer with a raise of hand, how many here want to see the blessings of God on your life and on your home and family? Raise your hand if you want to see the blessings of God upon you. Yeah, and so you should. God wants to bless his people. He really does. And in order to get the blessings of God, we need to be involved with missions. We call it faith promise missions. We're going to explain that. Now, it's natural for someone, especially if someone is new to our church, to look around and say, wow, such an emphasis on missions. Why do you do it? You'll notice over on this wall here, we have pick all these different pictures of missionaries <clears throat> that we support. Over on this wall over here, we also have a number of pictures of missionaries that we support. <clears throat> we support about 100 missionaries. And um, in our last missions conference, uh, we call it the missions conference, it started November of 2020 and it's ended now, November 2021. We've raised $136,429.37. Do you have that picture of the graph? Put that up. This is on the back wall. I want everyone to see this. And that shows you um, the different months and how much was given. And if you take that and average it all out, it comes to uh, uh, about $11,380, I believe, per month is uh, what we have been giving. Now, again, uh, why do you do it? Grace Baptist Church, all that looks real good and fancy, but why do you, do you do all that? Take all that time, spend all that money, put up all these pictures. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why Christian missions? Well, we want to try and answer that uh, today. I want to tell you a, a little humorous story First, and then we'll have a word of prayer, uh, about uh, three Christian guys that got together just down here at Tim Hortons, and they were chatting, and the subject of uh, missions, missions giving comes up, and the first guy says, oh, here's how I do it. After I give my, my tithe to the Lord, my 10% to the Lord, after that, then I give 5%, I give 5% toward uh, missions to support missionaries. The next fellow said, he said, that's, that's good. He said, what I do is, I, after I give my tithe, I give $25 every week. And that's about $100 a month, and that's enough to support one missionary. And so I give $25 a week above my, my tithe in order to help support uh, worldwide missions. And that helps support one missionary for one year. And then the third fella said, well, guys, I've got a different kind of a system. I like to give it all. And they said, what? He said, yes. Uh, I get my paycheck every week, and I make sure I get it in cash, cold, hard cash. 
fives and tens and twenties and loonies and toonies and all that. And I, I bring it home and I have a sacred basket for the Lord. And I put all that money in the basket. And then I, I hold it in my hands and I pray and I say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. Whatever you want, you keep. And whatever you don't want, you give back to me. And I throw it all up in the air. And you know, guys, it's amazing. It's amazing how much God gives back to me. Well, we sure don't uh, believe in that type of giving, do we? I want this to be very practical and educational for us today as we answer this question, why Christian missions? Why do we do it? So let's have a word of prayer, and then let's jump into this. This is an exciting subject. Heavenly Father, help us once again to get our eyes focused upon um, what needs to be done in this world and your perfect will. Uh, help us to be teachable today. Father, it's possible that there may be someone here today who's not yet born again, and some of this, or maybe most of it, is going to seem over their head or strange. And I ask that you would please give them grace today to help see at least that we care about a lost and dying world. Please increase our faith and help us to learn together. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, apparently, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s, said these words, a Christian who opposes Christian missions, who stands in opposition to it, opposes Christian missions, is an anomaly. An anomaly means something that's not normal. It's abnormal. Now, I'll give you an example of something that's abnormal. Um, last year, we had the, the joy of being able to give our car, Mrs. White and I, we gave our car to Pastor Ivan. Now, um, sometime before this, we noticed an anomaly in the car something that was abnormal, the gas mileage. We had been getting 400 kilometers per tank, and then it dropped down to about 300 kilometers per tank. And that wasn't normal. Now, that's not the reason why we gave our car to <laughs> Pastor Ivan, okay? I just want you to know that. We, uh, we, we got it fixed, but it got our attention. This thing that was not normal... It grabbed our attention and we said, whoa, what's going on here? And what it turned out to be was it needed a tune-up. Pulled out the spark plugs and there was hardly any electrode left. I mean, it was right down a stumpy nub or something, but it was, it was terrible. So we replaced all the spark plugs and the air cleaner filter there and changed the oil and all that. And back up it came to 400 kilometers per tank. But you see, there was something abnormal. And it needed to be corrected. For a Christian to stand in opposition to worldwide Christian missions is not normal. It's abnormal. Some of us here today, including myself, were diabetic. I have type 2 diabetes and I try to keep watch over my blood sugar level. And if I notice that it's gone too high, then that's an abnormality. And that needs to be looked at and corrected. Because if it stays up too high, then some nasty things can eventually happen in the body. And so, uh, because we're the caretaker of the body, we're like the manager of the body, 
And we're going to stand before the Lord one day and give account as to how we looked after this body. Uh, so I have to look after my blood sugar level, as every diabetic should. Um, so here we have this concept here of an abnormality. Now you needn't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, Jesus said something that maybe you remember reading this, but it's very important. He said these words, He that is not with me is against me. Jesus said those words in Matthew 12:30. He said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And so this is why it's very important that we deal with this subject. Why Christian missions? Because I don't believe every Christian in the world understands and is involved in a positive way with Christian missions. He that is not with me is against me. How should we respond? How should a Christian respond to worldwide missions? Because if a Christian opposes worldwide missions and says, nope, it's not for me, Maybe for others, I don't want to get involved for whatever reason. But if a Christian opposes Christian missions, there is an abnormality in that Christian. Something's not right. We should try and find out what the problem is. Now, there's uh, several possible causes for this abnormality. And I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter, to the right. We're going to be looking at several verses of Scripture. Have your Bibles open and handy and ready. And you dear folks watching at home, don't let us do all the work for you. You help us out. You go to 1 Peter chapter 2 with the rest of us. Would you do that please? So 1 Peter chapter 2. And this first uh, possible cause for the abnormality is a simple one. And it's called simple ignorance. We just don't know. We just don't know. Now 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2 Read it out loud with me, please, everyone. Let's go. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. There's the concept of growth. God wants all Christians to grow and continue growing and don't stop growing. A verse I'd like to read that's sort of a companion with this is in Hebrews chapter 5, and I'll read it for you. You needn't turn there. Hebrews chapter 5 Verses 13 and 14 say, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This first simple uh, cause or reason for the abnormality why a Christian would be in opposition to missions is they simply don't know. I'm going to admit something to you, which is a little difficult for me to admit, but I graduated Bible college with this problem. I knew about missions, but I wasn't really taught. I, I was in ignorance. And for the first number of years of my ministry, I was ministering in ignorance of the Bible teaching on missions and the blessings that go with them. I, I didn't know. It was simple ignorance. Now, this can be corrected. That's the whole purpose of this month, this missions month. Number two, and this is a little more of a discouraging reason. It's not terribly discouraging, but it is discouraging, and it's called disobedience. So if you turn to the left, go to the book of James, 
James chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. And if you are there, read it out loud with me, please, together, all together. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So here's a Christian who's just a hearer of the word. They hear the word preached, they hear it taught, but they don't do anything about it. And this we would call disobedience. If you turn a page to the right to James chapter 4 and verse 17... God here tells us, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is called disobedience. You know what's right, you just don't want to do it. That's called disobedience. If you're a parent, you know all about this, don't you? Your kids have at some point done this. And you know, we have a little dog, Charlie. And Charlie has what is called selective hearing. If he knows it's bath time, and we say, Charlie, come, come, Charlie. Charlie don't want to come. Somehow he knows the water's running. He knows it's running for him. And so he'll run under the table. If the door's open, he'll run out in the backyard. This has happened to us. And so we're getting a little smarter. We close up all the doors before we call him. And it does help. But you see, Charlie has selective hearing. We have to put drops in his eyes because he has poor eyes and he doesn't like getting drops. But afterwards, we give him one of these little milk bone treats and he loves that. He's expecting it after. But when it's drop time, come Charlie, come, come. And he's sitting in his bed looking at me. He'll look down, you know, look the other way. Sometimes I got to go pick him up. Christians are like this sometimes. They know what is right, but they don't do it. And this is called disobedience. This is not full backsliding. This is just disobedience in this area. Step three is full backsliding. Let's take a look at that. And we'll turn to the left. We'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Back a few pages, you'll find 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 19 and 20. Now, these verses talk about uh, two fellows that really fell into backsliding bad. Their names were Hymenaeus and Alexander. And they were were doing something really bad in, in their backslidden condition. They were blaspheming the Lord. You know, it's very important, folks, that we be careful what comes out of our mouth. I know that we sometimes get into anger, fits of anger over something. You know, if you, in the middle of the night, you're walking and stub your toe. Oh, you know, it's, the anger is there, right? The pain is there too. And sometimes what comes out of our mouth, we're ashamed of. We have to be careful in what comes out of our mouth. Oh, be careful little mouth what you say. Oh, be careful little mouth what you say. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful little mouth what you say. And we need to always remember that. These fellas... They forgot that, and they were backslidden. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's read verses 19 and 20 out loud. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, 
whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now when Paul says that he delivered them unto Satan, he doesn't mean he took out a gun and shot them, killed them. He doesn't mean that. These fellows here, they were doing what they shouldn't do. He put them out of the church. The church is also something like an umbrella protection for you. You know, we had some rain today and some of you came today with an umbrella. Well, obviously, you know, if you threw your umbrella away, you'd get wet, right? The umbrella is there to protect you. The church also offers protection, a certain kind of protection. And that's why, um, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a young man involved with fornication, real bad fornication. And Paul wrote to them and said, you know, when you come together, you need to put this guy out of the church. He's not repentant. Put him out of the church. Uh, And so they did that. And apparently um, he repented. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote for them to receive this guy back in. If he's repented properly, it's okay. Bring him back in. So that idea here, what Paul was saying, deliver uh, unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. It was to put them out of the fellowship of the church. And once they get out from underneath the umbrella protection, then the old devil goes at them and, you know, beats them up. And they say, oh, you know, Lord, I'm so sorry. And they repent, and then they're received back in. But here we're looking at a couple of guys with full-blown backsliding. Now, that's, that's a, a shameful and sad and sorry uh, situation to be in. But it can be corrected. Simple ignorance can be corrected through the teaching. The disobedience can be corrected by the Holy Spirit rebuking. Full-blown backsliding can be corrected through the prayers of God's people and the difficult ministry of the Holy Spirit in that individual's life. But there's a fourth reason why a Christian would be uh, standing against Christian missions. And that fourth reason is he's not really a Christian. He may look like a Christian, sound like a Christian, but he's not really a Christian. And for this, we'll go back a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2nd, I'm sorry, 13. I think I said 5. 13, verse 5. That's what I meant to say. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And Paul simply was writing this verse here, these words, to help the Corinthians that they would know that they are saved or not. So, uh, let's see, verse, verse number 5, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Read it together with me out loud. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove now your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So either Christ is in you or he's not in you. It's not both. He's not half in you. He's either in you, he's not in you. If he's in you, you're a Christian, you're born again, you're saved. If he's not in you, you're just a nice person. Unfortunately, you can't go to heaven, you're on your way to hell. You need to be saved. You need Jesus Christ inside of you. That's what gets us to heaven. So here is this fourth cause of the abnormality. And this can be corrected also, can't it? An unsaved man or unsaved woman can receive Jesus Christ by faith. Some of us grew up in the Catholic Church and the priest sort of taught us that when we open our mouth and he puts that wafer on the tongue, that that is receiving Christ. But that's not receiving Christ. That's not what God says in the Bible about receiving Christ. We receive Christ by faith. By faith, we have to repent of our sins 
we have to ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us and come into our heart because he's not in there. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. The moment you do that is the moment you're saved. And Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that's good news. That means he's never going to go out. I like that news. So he holds us secure. And so what we need, folks, is we need what the Bible calls a biblical mind. We need a biblical mind. We're born with a worldly mind, aren't we? And we grow up often with a worldly mindset. And we think about the world. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to behave. This is how we need to dress. This is how we need to talk. This is what we need to, to eat. And this is what we need to drink. And, and this is what we need to do with our future. And it tends to be very worldly centered. And what God wants for us is to have a biblical mind, not a worldly mind. Do you see the difference? When we have a worldly mind, we cannot do God's will. We cannot do biblical things. We need a biblical mind in order to serve the Lord. That's the only way. We have to have that. So turn now back to the right. Turn to the right and go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. After Thessalonians, you'll find 1 and 2 Timothy. I told you we're going to be looking at a few Bible verses. Uh, There's not many left, though. Now, in, in 2 Timothy, this is a very good verse. And I'd like to encourage you to underline it in your Bible. Take your pen or pencil, underline it in your Bible. Here's what we want, folks. This is what we're after. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. I want you to read it out loud. You folks at home, read out loud with us too. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Let's go. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We call this the biblical sound mind. And this is vital. This is what we must have. A biblical sound mind will control our actions. It will control what we get involved with. It will control our passions. It will control our decisions for life. If we have a biblical sound mind. Very important. A biblical sound mind will prevent the devil from creating an abnormality in us. None of us wants to be deceived. None of us wants to to feed on error. We want to feed on the truth. We want to consume the truth. We want to know what's true. We don't want to know what's false so much as we want to know the truth so that we can live our lives that way. Very important. And a biblical sound mind will prevent, at least help prevent, uh, the devil from creating this abnormality, especially in the area of missions. No born-again Christian should oppose missions at all at all. We should, in fact, be, be behind it. We should be with it. Uh, back in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, we find the Lord Jesus casting some demons out of a guy. This guy was full of demons. He had all kinds of demons in him. And as a result, he lived a very rough life. And he was always cutting himself, and he was crying and he was running around naked. You know, people that aren't in their right mind are going to do things like that. Because that's not normal. If you saw someone running around naked, cutting themselves, you'd think they're not in their right mind, right? You would normally think that. Well, here was a guy in Luke chapter 8 that wasn't in his right mind. Jesus cast the devils out of him. 
And all of a sudden, they found him now clothed. He put clothes on. And he was sitting there next to Jesus in his right mind. In his right mind. He had a what I would like to call a biblical sound mind at this point. You know, these people in Hollywood, they run around half naked. They're not in their right mind. They're not in their right mind. One thing that many missionaries around the world find is that when they introduce the gospel to uh, indigenous people who are running around half naked or completely naked, when they get saved, the missionaries don't have to tell them. They automatically know enough to put clothes on. Doesn't that tell you something? It ought to. Places where they pull the clothes off, they're not in their right mind. The devil has put an abnormality in them. We always need to be properly clothed. Now, one style of clothing in one country may be different than in another country, but there is modesty. There is clothing. And that's normal. That's what normal should be. Pulling off the clothes is abnormal. By the way, I'll just throw this in. This is for next spring and summer. Be careful of the beaches. Be careful of going to beaches because people throw off the clothes, most of the clothes anyhow, and there's an abnormality there. Now, they call it normal. The world calls it normal. But would it make Jesus blush? Anyhow, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about something better. And I'm talking here about having a biblical sound mind so that we can make a decision. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're born again, you're saved, you know you're, you're going to heaven, Jesus is in your heart. You absolutely must have a biblical sound mind in order to make a decision about missions. Because it's a subject that requires us to all make a decision. For everything we do in life, there are pros and cons, right? There are things for it and there are things against it. Uh, everything we do in life. Now, when we come to this subject of Christian missions, what are the pros and cons for Christian missions? Well, let's start with the cons, shall we? What are the things against it? What are the things that say, now we shouldn't be involved in Christian missions? And I'd like to suggest a few of them here for you. It's certainly by no means an exhaustive list, but it'll give you the idea. Number one is some people say that Christianity is unsuited to every nation. They say that this nation here is better off with this particular religion and this nation is better off with no religion at all. And so they look upon Christianity and the idea of spreading the gospel and missions and they say it's not suited. It's not proper. It's not suited for every nation. Now I'm just giving you some of the cons against Christian missions. Number two is some people say that it's unwise. It's not smart. It's unwise to interfere with the, um, the established religions or institutions of other countries. It's not a smart thing to do. We're better off to leave certain tribal people with their primitive beliefs. They seem happy. They've survived for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. So let well enough alone, they say. Now a case in point is what's called the North Sentinel Island. It's off of the coast of India. The North Sentinel Island is one of those few places in the world where you are not allowed to go. The Indian government, who controls the water, controls the, the island, has prohibited 
anyone from going there. Three years ago, in fact, uh, it was this month, three years ago this month, a missionary by the name of Chow, I think it was um, John Allen Chow, I could be wrong, but you could look it up later. He decided he would go there and tell them about Jesus. And what happened was they uh, shot arrows and spears at him. They killed him. He died there on the beaches. And it made world news. It was three years ago. And it was on North Sentinel Island. And they said, well, it was wrong of him to go. He was disobeying the, the government. And he went there. And he shouldn't have gone. Well, to try and take the gospel to someone who's never heard, I, I don't know. Can you call that wrong? In the eyes of heaven, is that wrong? Anyhow, it is what it is. But you see, the Indian government has drawn a line and said, you may not cross this line. You may not go to this people. Leave them be. They're fine and they're well enough alone. It, the gospel is not suited for the people of North Sentinel Island. Now, the third reason, some people say, it's simple mathematics. Look at all of the money that we're spending on missions. If you add it all up, it just doesn't pay. It's like going to the dollar store to buy something for a dollar, but you end up paying $10 for it. That's an abnormality, they say. It's not worth it. You do the math, they say. Well, let's do the math. Last year, if you add it all up, we, we gave $136,429.37 to missions to support 100 missionaries. And so you can do the division there and you can see what we gave to each of the, the missionaries. But every missionary needs more than just $100 a month. They have to go to many churches and raise money. Now let's, for conservative sake, say that they have 20 churches, each giving them $100 a month. Now again, that's not very much, is it? That's, uh, what, two, uh, $2,000 $2, a month. Uh, that's not a lot. Some of them need a whole lot more than that in order to go to different places and to minister. But let's just use 20. And so we'll take that figure of $136,429.37 and we'll multiply it by 20. And that gives us $2,728,587 every year to support 100 missionaries. So that gives you an, an idea of about $27,000 a year per missionary, which really isn't very much money if you think about it. But let's say that $2,728,587 and the people say that's too much money. Too much money. What are you getting for that money? Our missionaries write us letters every three months and they report to us if they've led souls to Christ. Throughout the year, we've done the math for several years now. Brother Howard keeps close watch on these figures. And it's approximately 1,000 lost souls are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior every year because of the 100 missionaries that we support. And again, you can do the math. It's about 10 souls a year per missionary, something like that. But if you look at it dollar-wise, it means that everyone who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ cost us $2,728.59. And some people will say, look at that money. There are other things you can do with that money than that. 
And how do we even know that that person is genuinely saved? Maybe they just made a phony prayer. How do we know? So it's total loss is what they're saying. So this is one of the cons against Christian missions. They're saying that it costs too much money for what we're getting out of it. And then there are people, of course, who take this one step further and they say that with that same money, we could do better things. We could plant corn. We could feed hungry people. We could buy clothes and clothe them. We might be able to get medical supplies for this money and help them medically or fix their teeth or buy them eyeglasses. We might be able to go and build outhouses for them or something. We might be able to help them have indoor plumbing with that kind of money. And some people think that there are better ways to use the money. These are just the cons against Christian missions. And lastly, there are some people who really say that we, we shouldn't be involved in worldwide missions because we have enough trouble here in our own country. Our own country's got problems. We have dirt poor people in our own country. We have drug problem people, alcohol problem people in our own country. We have domestic abuse and all kinds of problems. We've got um, human trafficking in our own country. And by the way, it's here on our own doorstep, right here in the greater Vancouver area. Yes, human trafficking's going on. Horrible, horrible, wicked business. Gives me the willies to think of it. That kind of thing is going on and here on our own backyard. And we could use that money. We could do better things. We should, we should look after ourselves. We should stick to our knitting. We shouldn't worry about other countries. Let them worry about their own problems. Let's take care of our own. And this is a, a very strong con against Christian missions. But what are the pros? This month, I am going to show you the many benefits of being involved. What God will do for us if we get involved with Christian missions. But for today, and we're practically done here, I want you to see, I want, want you to see one pro. I want to show you one thing. Now, I believe with all my heart that we're making mis some mistakes out there on the mission field. Not all our missionaries are working to the best of their ability. That's true. And I think that sometimes Christian missions as a whole fumbles and stumbles when we come to trying to reach people with the gospel. But we are under the marching orders of Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at this one last verse. And it's in the Gospel of Mark. Turn there with me, please. Gospel of Mark, chapter number 16. Mark, chapter number 16. Mark chapter 16. This is very important that you see this with your eyes. And verse number 15, and I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Would you do that now? Mark 16, 15, all together, let's read it. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Folks, that's one pro that wipes out all of the cons I've just mentioned to you. That one pro trumps all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff there and it trumps it all. We are under the marching orders of Jesus Christ. 
when we are involved with worldwide missions, we are obeying the words of Jesus Christ. Now earlier, before I got up to preach, Brother Howard came and read the Scriptures. And that was out of Acts chapter 26 when Paul was recounting what had happened to him when he got saved. And how God told him, the Lord Jesus, God told him that he was going to send him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. What we did not read, we stopped at verse 18. What we did not read was verse 19. And verse 19, Paul continued and he said, Wherefore, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. A church is either for missions or against missions. It's either one of the two. Just like the Christians within the church, we're either for missions or we're against missions. And when we talk about missions, we're not talking about planting corn and building outhouses. We're talking about helping lost people get saved and organizing them into churches like this so that they can start supporting more missionaries and helping to propagate the gospel. That's missions. And a church is really either pro-missions or it's no missions. It's either for it or against it. Folks, this one verse in Mark 16, 15, we are under the marching orders of Jesus Christ. For any church to call itself a Bible-believing church and not be heavily involved with worldwide missions, why, it would, it would have a very difficult time proving to Jesus that it was a Bible-believing, obedient church. It wouldn't be very obedient if it disobeyed Mark 16, 15. And you remember one of the four reasons I gave you at the beginning why a Christian might be opposed to Christian missions. Point number two was simple disobedience. A church is either pro-missions or it's no missions. And in order for us, Grace Baptist Church, to be able to stand before the Lord one day with confidence, we need to be pro-missions. So I'm answering this question today. Why Christian missions? Why are we involved with Christian missions? Why do we do it? Why do we spend so much time and treasures and talents on things we never see that happen around the world? Why do we do it? The one main reason is obedience to Jesus Christ. You know, after a person is saved, the Lord Jesus asks them to be baptized. That's God's will for their life. Now, our Presbyterian friends, they like to sometimes pour water on the head and they call it baptism. Sometimes they'll take a drip of water and put a drip on the forehead and call that baptism. The word baptize means to completely immerse. That's what baptism is, complete immersion. Imagine a submarine that, that only had water poured on it. What kind of a submarine is that? You want a submarine that's able to go completely underwater, to submerge. That's what baptism is. We look over here and behind curtain number one, we have our baptistry. We spend a lot of time and talent and treasures building that baptistry. Why do we do it? 
Why do we go to all of that trouble building a baptistry when we could just simply pour a little water on someone's head? Why do we do it? Because of obedience. That's why we do it. If the Lord told us to pour water on someone's head, we would do it. Matter of fact, I would have a little portable baptistry right here, wouldn't I? We could all line up and a little drip for you and a drop for you and so on and we're all done. doesn't work that way. Following the Lord in the waters of baptism is a real commitment. And we show ourselves committed to Jesus Christ when we're willing to publicly identify with Him in the waters of baptism. So it's quite a cost. It's quite a hassle, a, a trouble, if you will, to do this. Why do we do it? Obedience, that's why we do it. Why are we involved with Christian missions? Obedience, that's why we do it. As a Christian, you should be starting to pray. Start today. Because the Faith Promise Conference is at the end of the month. We're going to be giving you little cards and see if you want to be part of this. If you want to give something to the Lord over this next year. That's the end of the month. But start now praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to be involved? What do you want me to give? Our dear sister, Roman, who's over in Ethiopia, every year she was heavily involved with faith promise and missions. Lord, what do you want me to give? Until the Lord said to her, now this is for her now. This is not necessarily for every one of you here. She said, what do you want me to give? And the Lord said, I want you to give yourself. I want you to serve me. What a tremendous honor. That's not a burden. That's a pleasure to serve the Lord. And God called her and she's serving the Lord in Ethiopia. And I need you to be praying for her because there's tough times in Ethiopia these days. We're not sure if the, the anarchy and the war is going to reach the city she's in. If it is, she's got to escape. She's got to get out and she'll come back to Canada. So keep Roman in your prayers daily, would you please? I think that uh, she would appreciate that. She needs that. But as a Christian, concerning missions, start today. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? That's what I want you to pray. If you're here today and you're not sure that heaven is your home, what you need to be praying is, Lord, how can I be sure that heaven is my home? If I died right now, Lord, I don't know what will happen. I hope I go to heaven, but I don't know. Lord, help me to know. Help me to know. I can give you a little Bible study that will help you to know how to solve that and answer that question, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? We're going to pray now. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.